Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I'm excited about today's show. i am got a little different of a show for you today. I'll be joined by Joel Kahn, and we'll explore if the hustle mentality is what's best for social media marketers. I think you're going to enjoy it, and I want to strongly encourage you to stick around and listen. By the way, if you want to email me, simply email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And now for today's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip. This week I've got a brand new discovery coming directly from me, uh, and it's called YouTube Studio. And for those of you that use YouTube and probably have the YouTube app on your phone, did you know that there's another app called YouTube Studio? And what's really cool about it is if you have a YouTube channel and you're used to logging in on the web to Studio, to I think it's called Creative Studio or I forget what it's called, uh, Creator Studio or Studio. On the phone, it's pretty much the same thing. So you have a dashboard. When you first log into the YouTube Studio, it tells you all the analytics over whatever period of time, uh, like the last 28 days, what your watch time is, your views. If your subscriber change has gone up or down, but when you click on the little hamburger thing, you can also manage your videos directly from this app. In addition, you can actually manage your playlist from the app. And what I love is you can also interact with your people that are leaving comments on your site. So you can log in as your YouTube page, see all that stuff. And then they also have a dedicated analytics component here where you can look at your pretty much every kind of analytics you you would ever imagine. So if you're not using YouTube studio on your phone and you have a YouTube channel and you do any kind of regular updates, strongly recommend you check it out. Uh, I think you should be able to find it in any app store by simply searching for YouTube studio. And now for today's interview, I was recently at social media marketing world and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. 
Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. You with Joel Kopp. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Joel Kamm. If you don't know who Joel is, he's the author of 15 books. His latest, The Fun Formula, How Curiosity, Risk-Taking, and Serendipity Can Revolutionize How You Work. He also co-hosts the Bad Crypto Podcast. Joel, welcome back. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be here. Today, Joel and I are going to dig into how you can bring fun back into your work. And I know you're listening right now and you're like, wait, this doesn't have anything to do with social media. Well, actually, wait a minute, it does. Hang with us. So, Joel, um, let's start with why in the world did you write this book? Yeah, this is actually, out of the 15 books, this one is probably closest to my core. Um, You know, what really stimulated it is that there is this message going out in social media, especially, uh, where we see the words, the phrase, hustle and grind. Right, hustle and grind. If you want to succeed, if you want to get to the top, if you want to beat your competition, you got to be out there hustling and grinding every day, which means get up before your competition, get in the office, work late while your friends are out, you know, barbecuing on the weekend. If you really want it, you should be at the office and and you should be going after it. And, And I think that the philosophy is actually incredibly damaging and counterproductive to a uh, successful business and a fulfilling life. And so I kind of reverse engineered my 23 years of doing business online. And I realized that uh, the successes that I've had were not due to working incredibly long hours and grinding away at it. Rather, the successes I had have come from uh, where I was the most curious, where I you know, wanted to explore that those things that I was passionate about, where I was willing to take a risk and willing to fail, and where I allowed the process to take place and allowed things to unfold in a way more natural and organic manner. Essentially, it's where I was having the most fun. When I was doing the hustling or grinding part, that was actually more spinning my wheels than anything else. And it ended up hurting me and ended up hurting my relationships. And and I think it's a potentially dangerous message. I hear you. And, um, and I will say that I, I believe that there is a time and a place where you got to work hard. And I'm sure, Absolutely. I'm sure you believe that as well. It's not just sure. all about fun, for, for example, right? But I also totally agree with you that there are times when we do things and we work really hard and we don't even know why we're doing them. Mm-hmm. We just do them because we've always done it that way. And we feel like that's what we have to do. And then all of a sudden our kids grow up. And we get gray and we have no idea what happened. (laughs) And we are getting gray, aren't we? You know, I think it kind of goes back to a mentality that, you know, our parents had. Mike, and of course, you know, we're we're more seasoned than some of uh, your listeners. Uh, And the, the idea was that hard work is a virtue. And I believe that it is. And don't get me wrong. There are seasons, you know, where you do need to do the work, where you do need to buckle down. But as a lifestyle, it's unsustainable. So the message is hard work is a good thing. So taken to the extreme, that means more work is even better. But that's false equivalency. That's not actually true. Mm -hmm. And the title of your book is, is, um, 
is the fun formula. So we're going to get into kind of what the formula is, but you do also have the word work in the title as well. So we need to realize like, like these two words are not necessarily at odds with each other. And if you love and have fun with the stuff you do, you don't think of it as work is what I'm guessing. Um, but before we get there, um, I want to dig a little deeper because you and I have been friends for a very long time. We're both very deeply entrenched in the world of social media marketing. And um, I would love for you to explore kind of what's wrong with social media today and um, and how can you know our fellow social media marketers and, and influencer friends that are listening right now maybe solve some of those problems? You know, I, I know this word, as soon as I say it, people are going to think, oh, that word again, but we're going to go a little deeper on it once I say it. So I'm kind of prepping you. The, the word is authenticity, right? It's about keeping it real. And social media has created an environment um, on, the, on the negative side that really encourages people to just bring forth the positive things in their life and not share any of the real difficulties or struggles that they're having. Because we want to appear as though, you know, we're popular and have lots of friends and we're highly successful. And we don't want anybody to know that there's chinks in the armor. For some people, it's just a matter of, you know, always promoting themselves and sharing only what's good. And for others, it's just lying about who they really are and what they're going through. And, uh, you know, the anonymity of it all in some places, the fact that people are just addicted to likes, comments, shares, you know, follows, retweets, and that they're getting their self-esteem and their value. Can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, oh, I got 20 likes on this. This one got, you know, shared five times. And and you can see it. It puffs people up when that happens. Uh, and I think the focus is just, it's in the wrong place. I don't think that was ever the intent of social media, but you know, as human beings, we tend to pervert and twist, you know, everything because as a tool, social media and all technology are amoral, right? They're neither good nor evil. It's what we do with them. And I discover again and again that the people who are most authentic on social media, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly are the ones that I, I respect the most and the ones I'm most likely to trust and buy from. Interesting. Um, I want to dig into authenticity, but I also want to dig into the other side of it, which is the side that I don't think we've talked about recently, which is this whole concept of the fear of missing out. And I will be authentic with mm -hmm. you and share an example. I have been heads down working pretty hard on some stuff that will be revealed eventually. And I am not active on Instagram. And I am not doing anything with stories, you know, on any platform, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, but I actually do enjoy watching some of my colleagues share the stories about their life and where they are and stuff like that. And what goes through my head is maybe I'm doing something wrong because I'm not doing something with mm -hmm. stories. 
And I want to know what your thoughts are with that. Yeah, well, you know, if you'll remember, Mike, uh, when Snapchat, before the marketers got a hold of Snapchat, I was kind of there beforehand about three years ago. And in fact, I, I told a bunch of our peers about it and they started following, you Including know. Including me. Like a, <laughs> it was like a daisy chain. And, you know, for a while I was creating uh, really original, creative, engaging content. And my Snapchat following was growing, you know, pretty fast. And for the amount of work I was putting into it, it didn't feel like work to me. Eventually, I burned out on it. Uh, in other words, it stopped being fun to me. And when Snapchat stopped being fun to me, I stopped doing it. And this kind of goes to, you know, your idea, you might have this FOMO about, well, I should be doing Instagram stories. Uh, the moment you hear that word, either from somebody else or in your own head, should, I should, you should be. That is an indicator that you are probably doing the right thing by not doing it because mm. you're, you're doing what comes natural to you. You and I both know there's so many platforms, you can't be everywhere. And so I have these moments where I also, like you see, you know, some of our peers crushing it on Instagram and I go to myself in my own head, maybe I should do more Instagram. And then I go, you know what? I don't want to. And now I'm in my sweet spot. I'm doing what I want to do. And which that means that when I'm doing the things I want to do, I'm going to be highly effective. If I force myself to do something that I really don't want to do because others have told me it's important, odds are I'm not going to go all in on it. I'm going to feel like it's work. I'm going to feel like something else other than my passion is driving me. And I think that is a recipe for hustle and grind. And I think ultimately it's not going to get you what you want. Good, because I think we all face a little bit of fear of missing out because mm -hmm. each of us has a area. Maybe it's a social network. Maybe it's a content platform like podcasting, blogging, video um, that we're decently OK and we might have a decent following. But then we look at people that are crushing it in these other areas. And and what I'm hearing you say is. If you're having fun and you love what you're doing, like I do and you do with podcasting, I'm coming up on six years here, um, be okay with that. And why do you have to master YouTube? You don't, right? That's what I'm hearing you, you say. You are echoing me exactly, and that is a key component of the fun formula. It's listening to your own heart. It's listening to your own soul, your own passions, your own desires, and living life on your terms. You know, I, I don't do – I wrote the book on Twitter, three, cop, three editions of Twitter Power, but I don't do a lot of actual live tweeting. I buffer some content to share. I've got 900,000-plus followers, but I don't engage that much on Twitter. I don't enjoy it anymore. So I use it to put content out. I even tell people don't DM me in my profile, email me. That's the way to reach me. I'm way more engaged on Facebook. Um, I do a little bit on Instagram. You'll never see me on Pinterest. I don't really Snapchat anymore. Uh, rare occasions I'll do an Instagram story, but I'm not married to social media. The most important thing to me is how my quality of life you know, works out in my business and my personal life. Cause really they're the same thing. It's like that whole work life balance thing, I think is just a huge myth. It doesn't actually exist. All right. Now I want to dig in on this be authentic thing. So, um, you know, the good news about these social platforms 
for example, the stories kind of platforms is it does allow you to be authentic, right? It does allow you to share a short little snippet of your life or a Facebook text post where you're saying, hey, I need some help with this or what do you guys think about this? I mean, the good news is um, you can be authentic and not just show off, you know, uh, with social media, but there is a way to do this um, that is perhaps the right way. And there's a way to do this. That's the wrong way. So I would love you to give some tips on how to be authentic because, um, I think that it's not intuitive for some of us who are marketers and we're always trying to show the best side of us. Yeah. Well, I think there's, you know, unfortunately too many people out there that are always selling, right? They, they saw the movie, Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, ABC, always be closing. So they're always presenting their business to people. And I will tune out those accounts so quickly. You know, you don't, you don't get more than five seconds with me. Uh, you know, and, and there's people on Instagram that message me and the first thing, hi, uh, thanks for following me. If you're interested in blah, blah, blah. I'm not, that's, that's, you know, I'll reach out to you. <laughs> If I'm interested, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. If you're using any kind of automation like that, whether it's Twitter DMs or Instagram automation, where the first thing you do, unless people are opting into like a messenger bot and they know that when they opt in, they're going to get this kind of message. I wouldn't even use bots for that. I would build that relationship. So authenticity in social, you know, especially telling stories, this is a great opportunity to show people what your life is really all about. You know, people connect, um, you know, these areas that you wouldn't expect. And I, I know I, you know, I've talked about this with you before, Mike, when we talked about Twitter, probably on the, the last time I was on your show a, a few years ago, uh, you know, even after I'd written the first edition of Twitter power, I, I had, didn't know it all. Uh, and one day I tweeted a picture of a couple of donuts and I said, what's your favorite donut? Make mine chocolate. And I, when I saw that I got more response and reaction to that silly tweet about donuts, that's when it dawned on me that people are looking for, you know, ways to relate to one another and to find commonalities and the simple things about, you know, what we feel, think and believe are actually opportunities to connect with others in a much broader sense. So being authentic means sharing behind the scenes. It means telling your story. It means not being afraid to say, you know what, I'm having a really bad day and I just, I want to share something with you. Now that said, Said, there can be too much. Let, let's talk about that in a second. But before okay. we before we go there, um, folks, I think live video is one of the key, easiest, coolest ways to do this. Wouldn't you agree, mm -hmm. Joel? I do. You know me. I've been a huge proponent of live video since 2008 and especially, you know, oh, the second wave of it when Meerkat, remember Meerkat, when it came out and then we had Blab and you right. know, now we've got Facebook Live and Periscope and I love going live and I love being unrehearsed. I, I don't script what I'm going to do other than to say, oh, I've, I'm going to talk about this subject today or I'm going to have a guest and maybe I want to have a couple screens open to show. I just go live and I just talk to people. Uh, and I'm me. What you see is what you get. I might stumble over my words. I might sometimes I've been talking about a subject and I'll go, wait, what was I talking about? And I'll make a joke about how the trains, you know, going around when it comes around the next time I'll remember because it's real and people can relate to real people. You know, whether you've met me through one of my books or seen me speak on stage or heard me on a podcast or read my blog or met me in person, you're going to find that I am the same person. 
across the board. I don't pretend to be anything that I'm not. What you see is what you get. And it is the easiest thing to do. People try way too hard to put on appearances and it's just not necessary. And by the way, you know, just take your phone, go in the backyard on the weekend. And if you want to talk to people, just say, Hey everybody, I'm in my backyard thinking about this. What do you think? And that is a that's being authentic. You know, you're in an environment that is maybe not an environment they would normally see you. I've done it when I've been on hikes. Um, people love that. Absolutely love that. You know, um, I, I've told this many times on this show, but I've had flies fly in my mouth while I'm hiking. <laughs> while I'm live, I've had branches smack me. You know, I mean, it's just... That's, it's, that's epic. You know, nobody knows this better than uh, our new friend, Candace Payne, right? We right. got to meet Candace at Social Media Marketing World. Chewbacca Mom. Yep. Yeah, Chewbacca Mom. I had the pleasure to interview her and nobody makes for a greater example of that. Here you have this, this woman who was excited about this new toy, this Chewbacca mask that she got at Cole. She got in her SUV. She fired up Facebook Live, went live for four minutes. She didn't prepare a script. She didn't like take time to get hair and makeup on point. And her set, it was just the front seat of her car. And yet it was one of the most viral, you know, live videos of all time. And so, you know, if you see me on video, you're going to see me in my home office. I don't have the fancy set. I don't use the green screen. This is it. This is me. And people who like, know, and trust you want to hear what it is you're going to say. They want to know about the value you're going to bring. They're not concerned about the presentation. You wanted me to ask you about an improv class story. Um, <laughs> maybe you could tell us more about that. You know, a few years ago, while I was on my semi-sabbatical, um, where I pulled away from from work and business for a time, in fact, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that um, in a bit, I was looking for some activities to participate in, and I thought, you know, I think I'm going to try improv comedy. And so I went and I took a workshop and it was a four week workshop. And, and then I took the advanced workshop and at the end of it, they had us do a performance, you know, for anybody we wanted to invite just friends and family. And I struggled with it a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I'm not the highest in empathy. It's not that I'm not, you know, empathic at all. It's just that I have a hard time putting myself in, you know, what does it feel to be in a situation that I've not experienced myself? And when you're doing improv, I think there's a lot of that. And, and I realized after that eight weeks that that type of comedy is probably not best for me because there's only one role that I do really well. In fact, there's one, just one role that I play that nobody can play as good as me. And that's being me. So when am I funny? Well, I'm, sometimes I'm spontaneously funny on stage. Sometimes I'm spontaneously funny on my podcast. I don't know when it's coming. It's organic. It's authentic. It's in the moment. And I'm most comfortable in, in that earth suit. And so that's the one I'm going to wear. So the take home message is be yourself. Yeah, just just do you. And it's such a, you know, it can be really trite, I think, because, oh, yeah, well, we know that. Just be yourself. But I think taking a look at ourselves, being real honest, look in the mirror and go, am I faking it at all? Am I letting somebody should on me, you know, telling me what I should be doing? Or right. am I doing what my heart 
tells me to do? Am I following my passions? If you're not seeing the results that you want in your business, if you're not finding satisfaction in life, it might be time to take a deep breath and go, what am I doing that I really either don't want to be doing or I'm doing because somebody else told me I should be. And and then follow that up with asking yourself, what do I want to be doing and what scares the crud out of me? You know, to do. What what is that thing that I think I really want to do this but for some reason fear is holding me back? That's probably a really great indicator that you should be moving towards doing that thing. Absolutely. Um so in the vein of being authentic is also obviously being transparent and sometimes transparency can, can go a little too far. Um, how can we be transparent without being too kind of over the edge, if you will? Well, you know, I think that we've all known somebody and maybe, you know, somebody here has done it themselves where we're going through a situation, you know, could be a relationship, could be a business, you know, relationship, whatever. And we air our dirty laundry on social media. You know, we take what should be managed privately between the concerned parties and we put it out there for the whole world to see. Uh, It's like that intimate circle of trust is then just blah just kind of, you know, vomited out there for the whole world. And of course, what's that going to do? That's just going to invite opinions from people who don't know the whole story, who don't have the authority to really speak into your life. That is, in my mind, an inappropriate type of authenticity. You know, deal with your issues, whether it's, you know, with your, 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 what, your spouse or your kids or, you know, your business partner, whatever. Deal with that stuff in the appropriate venues, which would be going to those people and dealing with it. And in case in need be, you know, an attorney, then that's why you have, you know, attorney client privilege. So you can go to your attorney and talk about these things. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to your close friends or family, you know, peers that are in your circle of trust, but just putting your stuff out there on social media is, is not healthy. And it's, it's really, it's not mature and you're just creating a breeding ground for the toxic part of the, the, uh, social media experience to, it's like a Petri dish and it just grows in there and, and, and it's tempting. It's so tempting to do it because we're looking for sympathy, right? We're looking for people to be on our side, but that's not how to go about doing it. Uh, when you were writing this book, you have some sort of story about transparency that we had talked about before. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah, I this story to me I'm so glad that what happened happened because it's it I knew it would turn into a story uh, at the time in faith and to see it happen um now I get to tell it. You know, I mentioned earlier that uh around 2011-12 I went on a semi sabbatical. I had come through was going through rather a real difficult time in my life. The business had taken a bad turn, you know, the economy took a turn around 2010 and and I ended up letting go of all of my staff over the period of a year or so and I had I think uh, 35 or so people at my peak and, uh, my marriage, the wheels fell off my marriage. You know, I was married for 23 years and what started a separation eventually turned into divorce. And, um, I, I decided, you know, I need to take some time away 
to work on myself. And so I wasn't writing books. I wasn't taking speaking gigs. Uh, I blogged a little and I was out there on social media a little bit, but I really pulled into my own cocoon and I worked on myself physically. I lost 55 pounds and got healthier emotionally. I dealt with a lot of my baggage from the past that I had been carrying, you know, with a, a counselor and by talking to friends and spiritually, you know, I, I reconnected with God in a way that I felt was meaningful to me. Um, and it, when I came out of that, um, that sabbatical, I started speaking again and I started writing books and, you know, I got into the live video space and, and from all appearances, Mike, I was on top of my game again, but all of our measurements are different. Now, you know, for those who know a little bit about my history, I've had a few unicorns in my past. I've had a few successes that were Grand Slam home runs, which I'm really grateful for. You know, I sold a site to Yahoo. I had a, a number one best-selling iPhone app that 10 years later still gets media attention. Um, I, I'm a New York Times bestseller. And so I've, I've had this series of things that have happened. And since I came off my sabbatical, I hadn't experienced any of those again. Didn't mean I wasn't speaking. Didn't mean that from all appearances um, I was succeeding because it's success. But I felt like I was coasting. And here I'm writing this book, The Fun Formula, and part of the formula is allowing the process to take its place. So while I'm writing this book, I'm having doubts. I'm asking myself this question, is my best work behind me? Is, is this it? Am I going to coast now? And I've always believed that, you know, in faith that I've still got some great work to do. I just didn't know what it looked like. And I knew that in this book, I'm teaching people that there's things you cannot force. You have to allow time. You have to allow things to fall in place. You have to, it's, it's about the right phone call, the right email, the right idea um, at the right time executed the right way. That's where the magic has always happened for me. And I saw that in every single one of these huge successes that I've had in the past. So while I'm writing the book, I'm doubting myself and saying, Joel, you have to practice what you preach. You, even though you're questioning what's going to happen, have to trust the process. The first draft was sent in, and while I was waiting for the draft to come back, it happened. Uh, I got into exploring the world of cryptocurrency a year ago. It was, it was about April 2017 that it just really caught my interest. The whole Bitcoin, blockchain, cryptocurrency thing just fascinated me the same way that your live video had fascinated me, the same way that creating websites had fascinated me. It was this natural curiosity that I had. And I began having these conversations with my friend Travis Wright, who's a leading marketing technologist. And we would start chatting, it seems almost daily on Messenger, about what we thought about this coin or this currency or this piece of news. And on July 16th, 2017, he sends me a message on Facebook and says, when are we going to start the Joel and Travis crypto show with a little winky face next to it? Like he was being half sarcastic. And the moment he said that, Mike, it landed. And I said, I'm calling you right now because I knew we had to do this. I didn't know why. I just knew it sounded like fun. I wanted to take a risk on it. I thought that we could create something that nobody else had. 
Two days later, we had the first episode of the Bad Crypto Podcast released on iTunes with the website done, all the graphics done, social media, because we felt like we just wanted to take massive action. Well, fast forward to today, 10 months after the podcast, I'm looking at iTunes right now. The show is currently number 49 in all of business podcasts. It's been as high as number 25. We've had over 4 million downloads, and it's a unicorn. It's one of those things that you didn't see coming. We couldn't have planned for it, didn't expect it, and boom. So the process, the fun formula worked once again, and I'm so glad I struggled with this while I was writing the book because it forced me to live what I'm teaching. Somewhere, someone who's listening to this right now is saying, is my best behind me? Mm -hmm. And they're looking to maybe get that mojo restarted again. What do you want to say to them? By the fun formula. <laughs> I would say, no, your best work is not behind you. you. If you woke up this morning and you have a pulse, which by the way, that's everybody that's listening, then that means you have opportunity right now. And everything that you have done and experienced in your life, everything you've been through, the good, the bad, and the ugly is all stacking experience. It's all stacking knowledge and wisdom. And, and we don't just go linearly from one thing to the next. We take with us everything, all of the totality of our experience, and that makes the value that we're able to bring in our next thing even greater. You know, if I hadn't done radio in the past, if I hadn't done podcasting, if I hadn't, you know, built websites, or if I hadn't put up a podcast before, or, or you know, uh, create crafted messages or programming, then I wouldn't have been ready to help produce a quality show like we did. I've had six podcasts podcasts before the Bad Crypto Podcast. None of them came anywhere close to the success of this show. So is your best work in front of you? I believe so. Okay. Well, that's a perfect transition to my next question. Um, failure. What's your mm -hmm. view on it? Because uh, some of these people right now are saying, I don't think I can do it, I, you know, or I'm scared of failing. And I know that there's a transition from what you just said to my question. Go for it. Yeah. And, and in fact, we cover this extensively in the book because failure is an inevitable part of life, an inevitable part of business. If you're going to be authentic, you're going to fail. Even if you're being inauthentic, you're going to fail. But those who are authentic are not afraid to embrace failure. In fact, some of the greatest teachers in my life have been my failures. I've learned more from the times that I have done something that didn't work out than from those times where it did work out. You know, and I always go back to you know, the power hitter. We go back to Babe Ruth, who, you know, stood at the at home plate and for a long time held the Major League Baseball home uh, home run record. He was, you know, he was the Sultan of SWAT and uh, he would stand up at that plate and he would swing with everything he had. He struck out more times than he hit a home run. But you got to swing if you're going to hit it out of the park. And so I've swung a lot of times. You know, we all like to talk about New York Times bestseller, and I did this, and I did that, and I got this award. But I love to parade out my failures. I love to say, you know, I've launched dozens of websites that never went anywhere. I've launched information products and books that didn't sell. I once started up a, um, a mobile 
messaging system before mobile marketing was really a thing in 2009. And I put a solid six figures into it. And the darn thing didn't go anywhere, failed epically. And one of the greatest lessons I ever learned was from that failure is, you know, sometimes when we're failing at something, Mike, we kind of hold on to it. Like we won't let it die. We Mm. won't let it go. And once I uh, stopped paying for the service and I let it go. We're talking about, I couldn't sell the service to anybody. I couldn't sell the technology. Uh, it was, it was done. And when I stopped paying for it, that's the moment that I felt like my failure ended. I stopped failing the moment I stopped paying for it. And I thought that closing this thing down would actually feel like, Oh, I blew it. I can't believe it. No, didn't feel like that at all. It felt like I'm free. I'm free and there wasn't a burden on my shoulders anymore and I can move on to the next thing and take the lesson I learned from it. So fail, try things, don't be afraid to do it. Um, I've been studying a lot of really successful businesses and almost every single one, every single one, this was not their first rodeo. You know, they had, they, they had tried another product and because it was a disaster or it failed, they were forced to try something else. And the one thing that they all share in common is a, um, a desire to just, you know, um, essentially let the old things die. And I think that is so, so, so important. You know, the idea of like deleting something or letting it go or just releasing it so that your energy and your mind and your focus can be put into something new is so important, man. Because how in the world are we ever going to be able to kind of lean into that next success if we don't give ourselves time? And the only way we're going to get time is to let go of the old stuff. Am I right? You're so right. In fact, let me share a really brief story about something that's just happened in my life. I told you about this personally in a, in a call you and I had, but I want to share this with the audience. Uh, since that time of transition in my life, I decided not to own a home again. You know, I've had the big home and got rid of it and that was all, you know, taken care of. And because of uh, needs that my kids had, I've moved around a lot, um, lived in apartments and then have rented some homes in the Denver area. And every time I move, I carry all my stuff in my wake. And I've accumulated quite a bit of stuff. I'm 54. I just turned 54. And I've had a massive software collection that I've carried with me for years. Um, I've had uh, collectibles, comic books. I've had tchotchkes, knickknacks, books, these just things that my basement in the last home I was in was full. And I said to myself when I was going to make this next move, you know what? I'm done living in a house. I'm going back to apartment living. I'm going to find a place that I really, really love, which is where I am right now. And I am going to do the mother of all purges. Mike, I kid you not, I got rid of, I would say, 85% of my personal possessions, letting go of things that I have held on to, many which have had an emotional connection to me. And basically a guy that I knew here, he took him away in a 20 foot U-Haul and took him to storage. And I said, sell the stuff and, you know, give me half of whatever you sell it for. It's not serving me to care to keep it anymore. How do you feel? It has been, How do you feel? Oh, li- liberated. 
unbelievably liberated. I'm living, uh, you know, minimalist now. I, in fact, I even got rid of all the old furniture that I had and got all new furniture so that this time in my life would truly feel like a new beginning that I wasn't carrying. The only thing that, you know, I really brought with me is my computer that I'm sitting at right here. You know, it goes wherever I go. Uh, but most of everything else is, is gone and it's wonderful. Sounds like you're having fun. <laughs> I, I am having fun. I'm having more fun now um, in my life because, you know, I've learned. I've learned what not to do. And that's why I wrote this book. And that's why I'm hoping it will help to liberate uh, a lot of people. And, and it's written in such a way, Mike, that it's for anything from high school students up to retirees. There's there's reasons for anybody in that age range to derive value from it. I really want to take that uh, hustle and grind pendulum that I feel has swung too far to one way. And I would just want to shove it back the other way and say, let's be real folks. Cause there are too many people uh, who, especially younger people that are being given these messages by people online that are telling them they got to hustle, they got to grind. Hey, if you want that Lambo in your garage, if you want to have the big house, if you want to have the swimming pool, if you want to have mountains of cash and be surrounded by beautiful people, this is what you got to do. And look, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But if the materialism becomes the thing that you're chasing after, you're going to miss something even more important. And that is who are you really made to be? What value are you designed to bring to the world around you? You know, life is short. We have to carpe those DMs because we don't know how long we have. Folks, go out and get his book, The Fun Formula. Uh, Joel, tell them where you want them to discover more about you and or the book. You know, there's uh, some uh, pre-order, and I think uh, for a short time after the book goes live, because it becomes available on June 5th, but there's some bonuses. If you'll go to Fun Formula Book. Dot com. You'll see how you can uh, order it uh, and, and put in your receipt number from wherever you purchase it because it'll be available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, indie bookstores, and so on. Uh, but there's about $100 worth of bonuses, including a webinar, um, some bonus videos, part of the audio book, uh, instant access to the, uh, the ebook, so you can get started with all this. And, and I hope people really enjoy it funformulabook.com. Mr. Joel Com, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to share, Mike. I appreciate you. Well, I hope you found a lot of value in today's podcast episode. If anything that was mentioned you missed, simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 305. Never, hit a never miss a future episode of this podcast. Hit the subscribe button on your podcast player. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.